Well, next Sunday, I'm planning on getting back into the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. We're going to be in the next chapter. It's pretty good, huh? We're making some progress. But uh, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. And I was just thinking about a passage of Scripture that might uh, serve us well as we are launching into a new year as individuals, as couples, as families, as a church. And um, I, I don't know, I always like to go to God's Word and, 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 and find uh, encouragement, find strength and hope and direction and guidance. And, and there's so many places in God's Word uh, that uh, we could have gone to this morning. But uh, Joshua 1 stuck out to me because... This was when the nation of Israel was going into the new land. This was a whole new generation uh, of Israelites uh, going into the promised land. And uh, in the same way, here we are going into a new year. And so uh, we are in a time of transition, uh, uh, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to what lies ahead. And that's really the context of, of the book of Joshua, particularly Joshua chapter 1. And I just want to read with you the first nine verses. Again, this is a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you, particularly verse 8. Um, many of us have probably memorized that verse since we were little, if we grew up in the church. But let's read this together. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying... Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory." No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you you go. Father, we do not have the ability to see the future, and we do not know what you have in store for us this next year. We don't know the places that you've ordained for us to go, or the trials that you've ordained for us to endure, but we know, do know that we can be strong, we can be courageous, that there's no need for us to be afraid or anxious because no matter where we go, you will be with us and you will make our way successful as long as we trust you and obey you. And so I pray that this morning that you would use this text, Lord, to collectively strengthen us and encourage us as individuals and as a church that we might experience your richest blessing upon our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, everyone wants to be successful. I've never met anyone who wanted to be a failure or enjoyed failing for that matter. Uh, we, we do enjoy it, though, when others fail. We videotape them and we post it on social media and ends up on YouTube on these epic fail, right, videos that we try not to laugh at, these people failing, but um, we all hate to fail. 
Um, that's why we all try so hard to succeed. And, and there's a reason why we all tend to be so easily drawn in by the motivational uh, personalities on the infomercials who tell us how they achieve personal or professional success, and we're quick to shell out that 1995, right? Um, to buy that book or that DVD or that piece of equipment to, to learn to apply their secrets of success. Um, we made a poor decision one night. You know, I don't think it's, I think it's, there's a reason why these infomercials come on after 10, because you're not in your right mind, usually, right? And you're just sitting on the, on the couch, feeling bad that you're just sitting on the couch eating potato chips or doing whatever you're doing. You should be in bed, but you're just like crashed out there. And all of a sudden, this guy comes on who looks in perfect shape, the epitome of shape, right? And he's telling you if you just, uh, you know, puree these carrots for the rest of your life and drink them, you know, that you, it'll change your life forever. And so we have a juicer somewhere in our kitchen in some cupboard that we maybe used like one time because I don't know what I was thinking, right? I don't like vegetables to begin with in their normal state. Why would I like them if they're pureed and they taste like foam? Um, it just was a bad idea. So anyway, it's just, we got it and it's in our, it's in our cupboard to remind, reminding us to uh, not believe infomercials. But usually in those presentations, um, there are very success stories, right? They intermingle their talk with these success stories of other people who, who have done what they have done, have applied what they've applied, and so they share how they put into practice the secrets and how they achieve physical fitness or personal happiness or financial uh, freedom, and they created the lifestyle that we all dream of. Well, Joshua is one of God's most well-known success stories. He lived the victorious life that every true Christian dreams about living. He was a courageous conqueror who fearlessly trusted God. He was uh, a man who faithfully obeyed God no matter the cost. He wholeheartedly served the Lord his entire life. And as a result, God was pleased with him and used him and prospered him. And here in the first few verses of his book, he shared the secrets of his success, which are not really secrets because they're here for all to see in God's word. But what we're going to see is that his success had nothing to do with his intellectual ability, nothing to do with his creative ingenuity or his physical strength, his commanding presence, his military prowess. While all of these kinds of things prove helpful and useful in our lives, none of them assure success. But God told Joshua that his success was assured as long as he followed three simple, straightforward steps, particularly in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, all highlighted by this expression, be strong and courageous, used three times here, and we'll Look at that in just a moment. But in order to, to fully understand these three steps to spiritual success, that's what I'm calling them this morning, we need to understand the context in which God gave them to Joshua. Notice the first sentence. Now it came about after the death of Moses. So the first phrase of this book links Joshua with the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And if you turn back a page, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34 the title over that chapter in my Bible simply says, The Death of Moses. And we have the recording here of how Moses went up to, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev and the plain and the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Verse 8 says, so the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom 
For Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to reform the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And then the very next sentence, now it came about after the death of Moses. And so this phrase really marks a transition in the flow of Scripture, and the book of Joshua serves as a bridge from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, really to the rest of the Scriptures. And I think more importantly, this phrase marks a transition in the history of Israel as the mantle of leadership was being passed from Moses to Joshua. We just read back in Deuteronomy chapter 34 that before his death, Moses had prayed that God would provide a replacement for him, and that God had been preparing a man behind the scenes for many, many years to take over when Moses died, and he was none other than Moses' loyal and faithful servant, Joshua. And throughout Moses' autobiography, which is essentially what Exodus um, Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is his autobiography. Moses provided for us a few glimpses of his closest friend and most trusted confidant. Who is this Joshua? He was several things. He was a slave. He was born and raised in Egypt. He was a soldier. The first time he's mentioned uh, back in Exodus 17 was when Israel faced the first war with Amalek as they were leaving uh, Egypt, and Moses appointed him to be the commanding officer of the armies of Israel. And that's when Joshua came on the scene. And then we also see that he was a saint. Uh, the next time he uh, is mentioned uh, by Moses, Moses was inviting him to go up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments with him. In Exodus chapter 24, um, he was waiting off in the, in, in, on the sidelines, if you will. Uh, later on, Moses had a special tent that he set up outside the camp of Israel where he would meet with God, and Joshua would always accompany Moses to that special tent of meeting. And, and even after Moses left, it says that, that Joshua would stay there and linger in sweet communion with God. And so we see he had an intimate relationship with the Lord. He also was, was jealous in his defense of Moses, his mentor. Um, so much so that Moses had to rebuke him at one point when Joshua tried to shut some prophets down who were prophesying in the camp and they were doing the right thing but Moses uh, or excuse me Joshua told him to be quiet and he asked Moses to to rebuke them and Moses rebuked him instead he was also one of the spies one of the 12 spies if you remember uh, that uh, Moses had appointed to spy out the land of Canaan and that's when 10 of the spies came back and said, oh man, we're in big trouble. There's no way we can conquer these people. They're, you know, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. They're giants. And, um, and yet Joshua and Caleb, if you remember, they tore their clothes and they pleaded with the people not to fear that God surely would go before them and deliver their enemies into their hands. And yet the people refused to listen. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. And as you know, God punished that entire generation by making them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they all died except for Joshua and Caleb. We could also say that Joshua was a servant. At the beginning of the book, he's referred to as the servant of Moses here in verse 1. And uh, by the time the, the book is over, he's referred to as the servant of the Lord. You can look at Joshua 24, verse 29, which, again, was a, was a sacred title, the servant of the Lord. That's what Moses was referred to here. That after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Joshua was referred to in the very same way. This was a sacred title reserved for God's choicest servants. But I say all that just to get us to think about what it would have been like to be in Joshua's sandals at this point. Just think about that. Well, what are the, some, of the, some of the things that he may have been dealing with at that moment in his life? Obviously, he was grieving over the death of his beloved mentor and friend. 
He was feeling overwhelmed by a, a sense of inadequacy. I mean, who, who would want to take over for Moses? I mean, like, not me. Pick somebody else. That's, that you're sure to fail, right? It's, it's the, some of these great Christian leaders today, these great pastors and people, they have no succession plan. It's like, who wants to follow John MacArthur? Who wants to follow R.C. Sproul? Who wants to follow, right? I mean, it's just like you're, you're doomed to fail, right? Because you can never match up to the greatness of these, of these men. And so he was probably feeling overwhelmed by a sense of inadequacy. He was, he was also facing insurmountable obstacles in his path. This was the time of year when the Jordan River was swollen uh, to its peak. This was flood season, and so he was wondering, how am I going to cross the Jordan River here with all these people, without boats, without bridges? And then if we even get across, then we've got Jericho staring us in the face, this, this notoriously fortified city, wondering how we're going to be able to scale those walls or penetrate those walls. He was also experiencing all sorts of fears and, and emotions as the Israelites were about to step into the promised land. I mean, I, can you think about the, the irony of this as he was reflecting on how 40 years ago he had stood at the same spot, spying out the land, never expecting that he was going to be the one leading the nation into the land 40 years later. And so when you think about what Joshua was experiencing where he was at in this moment of time, I think you'd agree that what he needed more than anything else was to be strengthened and encouraged. And that's exactly what God provided for him. Again, notice three times he says, be strong and courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. And so God used this phrase to call attention to three specific things from which Joshua could draw strength and encouragement. God wanted to, to, to emphasize to Joshua the conditions on which his success will be based. There was no reason for him to be an epic failure as the successor to Moses. In other words, a successful conquest of Canaan was assured if he did these three things that God stressed here. And so we're just going to look at these, what I'm calling three steps for spiritual success. Three steps for spiritual success that all of us need to learn and apply if we want to experience the rich blessing of the Lord in our lives, even as it was on the life of Joshua. Let's look at the first step, or first secret, I guess, if we wanted to stick with that whole secret idea. Number one is to claim the promises of God. We need to claim the promises of God. Now, when we talk about claim, it means to ask for or demand something that rightfully belongs to us. We lay claim to it. That's the idea here of claiming the promises of God. We're used to hearing uh, this word used um, in the context of settlers and, and miners who would stake their claim as the rightful owner of a piece of land. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God had promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses that he was going to give their descendants the land of Canaan, which he outlined the boundaries of uh, in verses 2 through 4, notice Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Here we go. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. And so when you think about the land of Israel, the northern border is the mountains of Lebanon, the southern border is the Arabian Desert, the western border is obviously the Mediterranean Sea, and the eastern border is not the Jordan River, it's the Euphrates River. 
there's a lot of real estate between the Jordan River and the Euphrates River, if you know Middle Eastern geography. And so all that to say that the territory they possessed under the leadership of Joshua was far less than what was promised to them. Not even during the the reigns of David and Solomon did the Jews control all the land that God had promised to them. And in fact, they will not gain full possession of all the land until Christ comes back to earth and regathers the Jews and sets up his earthly throne in the capital of Jerusalem. Good job, President Trump. That's biblical. May not be political, <laughs> but that's biblical. And, and so we gain some helpful insight here into what is going on in the Middle East and the ongoing conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians about who is the rightful owner of the land and the Gaza Strip and you know, the, 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 the other portions of, of land that are in dispute. Listen, according to this passage, all of the land belongs to the Israelites. Not because the United Nations gave it to them, but because God gave it to them. But they'll not, they're not going to possess it fully until they get right with God. And just like the Palestinians and the other Middle Eastern countries today, the nations who are inhabiting the land of Canaan, or who were inhabiting the land of Canaan in, in Joshua's, they were squatters. And it was high time for God to stake his claim, and he chose Joshua as the man to do it for him. And so Joshua's task was to lead the nation of Israel in driving out those nations and take possession of the land that was rightfully theirs. This is basically coming in, um, uh, if, if Moses' message was, let my people go, that was what he was told by God to say to, 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 to Moses or to, to Pharaoh, is let my people go, these are my people release them from slavery. Well, Joshua's message is, this is God's land, get out of here. Get off of it. If you know anything about the conquest of Canaan, you know that Joshua didn't achieve instant success. He didn't didn't, um, take possession of the land all at once. It, It didn't happen overnight or in a day or two. It took some 20 years or so, of constant fighting against the Canaanites. And even as he said in verse 3, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. So in order for them to claim that land, they had to actually tread on that. They had to walk on that. But as Joshua steadily marched, one step at a time, one battle at a time, one day at a time, little by little, he gained ground on the enemies living in the land. And I think this is a great analogy, a spiritual analogy for our spiritual lives because we also want instant success, don't we, in our spiritual lives? We we attend a weekend conference or take some 12-week class and expect immediate results. We want instant transformation. But, But genuine spiritual transformation takes weeks, it takes months, even years, it It takes a long time to overcome old habit patterns, doesn't it? And so we need to just take one step at a time, and little by little, we will overcome certain sins and struggles in our lives until finally, we will enjoy complete peace and rest from the enemies of our souls when we get to heaven. Look at Joshua 11, verse 23, just a great verse with, I think, uh, a spiritual implication. So Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. When we think about the holy war, as John Bunyan described in that book that he wrote, not the Pilgrim's Progress, but he actually wrote a book called The Holy War, and, and that, that war will be over someday when we get to heaven. And uh, really the rest, as we're going to see here in a moment, the rest that the Israelites enjoyed in the promised land was a type, was a picture of the rest that we enjoy in Christ now and we will ultimately enjoy in heaven. 
However, in the meantime, we are at war. And we have ground to claim. And enemies of our souls to conquer. And so we need to claim the promises that God has made to us in his word. Promises like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, no trial has overtaken us but that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not allow us to be tempted or tried beyond what we're able, but with every temptation, every trial, he'll provide a way for us to escape so that we can endure it. Or Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in us, what? Will carry it to completion. Or how about Jude 24? Jude 24, an often overlooked little verse. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. These are just a few of the promises that God has given us that he's made to us in his word. And we need to believe that God keeps his promises. Even when the situations or, or the circumstances that we find ourselves in tempt us to doubt that he will or can keep his promises. When it looks like there's, there's no way that God's going to come through for us, we need to have faith to believe that God will make a way. I mean, from Joshua's perspective, there, there was no visible way of crossing the Jordan River. There was no visible way of climbing over or penetrating the walls of Jericho, so they needed to, to have faith to believe that God could make a way. Somehow, some way. Someone said it well, that God required the people to attempt the impossible in submission to his directions before he made it possible for them to succeed. And so it's in those impossible moments that we, we must claim the promises that God has made to us in his word. We need to hold God to his word. And we need to step forward in faith. And so, first and foremost, God stressed to Joshua that his success in conquering Canaan was based on the promise that he had made centuries before. Look at Joshua 21. Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45. Joshua was just reiterating this promise, Joshua 21, verse 43, so the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers and they possessed it and lived in it and the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their fathers and not one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. And that is our testimony as well. We could all say that not one of the good promises which the Lord has made to us in his word has ever failed or ever will fail. Amen? They'll all come to pass. And so we need to claim the promises of God if we want to be successful in our spiritual lives. Secondly, we need to comply with the precepts of God. We need to comply with the precepts of God. That word comply means to be submissive, to yield, to, to act in accordance with, or just simply to obey. We need to obey the precepts of God. Look at uh, back in Joshua 1, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to what? Do i.e. obey, comply with all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. So God was commanding Joshua to obey everything that Moses had written. Everything contained in Genesis through 
Deuteronomy, which was the only portion of God's word that was written at the time, save maybe the book of Job. And in Deuteronomy 31, just a few pages back, verses 9 through 11, we see Moses writing out this law. Deuteronomy, by the way, by the way means second law. He was reiterating, repeating, reminding this new generation of the law that the first generation had failed to obey. This is Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Can you imagine that? Every seven years we'd get together and I would read the entire Bible to you. That's what he was suggesting. Assemble the people, verse 11, the men and the women and children and the alien who is in your town so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So again, Joshua is not hearing anything new here. God had already spoken through Moses, and he was just, God was just reiterating this. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you to do. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. What is the opposite of being careful for something? He says, be careful to do. I think the opposite of being careful with God's word is being careless with God's word. Just compromising God's word, veering just, just a little bit to the right or, or to the left. It's not that big of a deal. It's only, it's just a little sin. God, God will forgive me. Are you careless or careful when it comes to obeying God's word? Or are you careful to make sure that you do everything it says to do and careful to not do anything it says not to do. And when you disobey, do you casually and flippantly think, well, oops, sorry, did it again? Or do you carefully confess your sin before the Lord and humbly seek his cleansing and his forgiveness? And then we come to verse 8, which is, probably the most well-known verse in the book of Joshua, if not one of the top five of the Old Testament. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Here we have an unforgettable statement of the special role that the word of God plays in our spiritual success. Don't miss this. If you've never memorized this verse and meditate on this, in other words, do exactly with this verse what this verse says to do. To, to memorize it and meditate on it and to put it into practice. And, and what God does here is he lists three practical ways that we can comply with his word. Okay, we're supposed to be careful with his word, to do his word. Well, how do we do that? Number one, you talk about it all the time. Notice he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So you need to talk about the word of God all the time. If, if you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Verse 6, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, we're supposed to be talking about the word of God all the time. Our day should be filled with conversations about the scriptures. And so we need to talk about it all the time. Number two, we need to think about it all the time. Notice he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Probably the most familiar passage about meditation is Psalm 1, verse 2, 
How blessed is the man who delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. All day, all night, you're thinking about, you're, you're, you're mulling over the word of God. That word meditate literally means to mutter. I don't know if you're a mutterer, right? You kind of talk to yourself. But that's what, that's what God is saying, that we repeat God's word to ourselves over and over again. Just, just run it through our minds. You've all heard the example like a, like a cow chewing his cud, right? You know, the, the cow eats the grass and puts it in his first stomach and, sorry for the graphic nature of this, but he regurgitates up, chews it some more. And you, you ever look at a cow in a field, he's just always going... Right, he's always chewing on something. It's like, what is your problem, dude? Right, he's chewing his cut. He's chewing that, and then he swallows it, and get, he's getting all the nutrients out of that. Or you may have heard the example of a of a tea bag soaking in water, right? And you just keep dipping it down in there. I'm not a tea drinker, but I make tea from time to time for my wife. And you know, you kind of dip that thing down and in and out, and you just what, what do you want? You're extracting all that flavor into the water, but you have to do that multiple times, and so. This is what meditation is all about. It's really the bridge. Meditation is the bridge between reading or hearing or talking about the word of God and putting it into practice in our life. You can hear the word of God. You can read the word of God. And that's good. But how do you get it from the Bible into your life? Well, the bridge, the pathway is meditation. And we're not talking about, um, you know, like that kind of meditation. We're talking about thinking, filling your mind, not emptying your mind, filling your mind with the scriptures. And for example, there was a, a verse that jumped out at me as I was reading through Proverbs uh, just this past week, and it just really hit me uh, in an area that I've been struggling with. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to keep sinning in that area. And so that's a great verse that applies to that particular temptation. And I want to memorize that verse. And so I've been thinking about that verse every day uh, for the last week since I've read that and trying to put it to memory and, and when a situation avails itself and I put it in, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity to, to remember that verse. I need to quote that verse and think about that verse and what it means in this situation. That's what it's talking about. You don't just have your quiet time or you don't just come to church and then forget about what you read or what you heard. No, you think about it for the rest of the day. You think about it for the rest of the week. You mull it over in your mind. That's why we have so many of our grow groups committed to sermon application. It's an opportunity to kind of corporately meditate on the Word of God and to make that bridge from hearing the Word to living the Word. And that's the last, the third, the, the, the third principle here, the practical way we need to comply with God's Word. We not only need to talk about it all the time, not only need to think about it all the time, we need to do it all the time. As it says in James 1.22, do not be merely hearers of the Word, right, but doers of the Word. Don't deceive yourself. Or like Ezra, I love the example of Ezra. Uh, Ezra 7.10, it's one of my heroes. Ezra 7.10, listen to what it says about his commitment, the, the commitment of the scribe. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. It wasn't good enough for him just to crank out a sermon, uh, you know, so that he could have something to say. No, he wanted to, before he ever got to the people with the message of God's word, he wanted the message of God's word to already have penetrated his own heart. That he was living it out in his own life. Notice he says, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So don't let the word of God depart from your mouth. Meditate it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It's not enough just to read the Bible, study the Bible, talk about the Bible, memorize the Bible, or even meditate on the Bible, all those are really means to the greater end of acting on the Bible, living out the Bible, putting it into practice. And when we bring every area of our lives into compliance with God's word, God blesses us. Obedience is the pathway to success. Whereas disobedience leads us down the road to failure. We can't sin and expect to succeed. That's really what it comes down to. You can't sin and expect to succeed. 
And, and we see this principle throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. The basic principle of God's word is if you disobey me, I'll what? Curse you. And if you obey me, I will what? Bless you. And this was established even here in, in Joshua chapter 8. And we don't have time uh, to read it this morning, but you remember back in Deuteronomy, Moses said, hey, when you get there, when you get to the promised land, this is what I want you to do, six, divide the nation in half, six tribes on Mount Ebal, six tribes on Mount Gerizim, and I want you to kind of yell back and forth. And, and, and the guys on Mount Ebal, the six tribes are going to you know, uh, yell out all the curses of God, and, and the people on Mount Gerizim, the six tribes on Mount Gerizim, are going are, are to shout out all the promises of God. And there was going to be a very clear dichotomy as they entered the promised land. Listen, if you obey me, I will bless you. And if you disobey me, I'll curse you. And if you obey me, all the promises I've made will come true. And if you disobey me, all the curses will come true as well. Look at, just quickly, Joshua 23, verse 14. This was his farewell address, and I love how he brings us all together. This is Joshua 23, verse 14. Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. It shall come about. That just as all the good words that the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Listen, if you want to stay under the blessing of God, Joshua is saying, just obey. Just obey. And if you disobey, just know he's going to remove the blessing. And you're going to experience his, his discipline, his correction. And so the second thing that God stressed to Joshua here was that his level of success would be proportionate to his level of obedience. And so we need to comply with the precepts of God. And then thirdly and lastly, we need to cling to the presence of God. We need to cling to the presence of God. To cling means to hold fast to something, to, to, to be or stay near something or someone, to cling. Look at verse 9. This is the idea. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is what? With you wherever you go. So the fact that God was with Joshua, wherever he went, kept Joshua from ever having to be scared, ever having to be dismayed by anything or anyone. And again, Joshua had already heard these, these same words from the lips of Moses during his commissioning service. To, hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous. This is Moses exhorted, hey man, be strong and courageous. The Lord will be with you like he was with me. And even though Moses was no longer with him, God was still with him, and that's all that mattered. Notice verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you, I will not fail you or forsake you. And God graciously provided Joshua some similar experiences that he gave Moses just to confirm his promise to never forsake him or fail him. In the same way that God caused the Red Sea to part for Moses so that he could lead God's people out of the land of Egypt, God caused the Jordan River to part for Joshua so he could lead his people into the land of Canaan. In the same way that Moses had that holy ground experience at the burning bush. Remember that? Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is on holy ground. He gave Joshua a similar experience. In fact, 
Um, I kind of like Joshua's experience better than just a burning bush because what Joshua saw was a soldier with a drawn sword. And, and Joshua naturally asked, this is, uh, you can see this in chapter 5, verse 13. He said, well, are you for us or against us? Whose side are you on? And that soldier said, I'm here to take over. And this was a pre-incarnate vision of the second member of the Trinity. This was Christ appearing as a soldier with this drawn sword. The whole point, God wanted to make it unmistakably clear that he was in charge from the very first battle. Need I mention Jericho? Not one shot was fired, (laughs) if you will. They just marched around, right? The city blew their trumpets and shouted and God made the walls come down. In chapter 10, there was a hailstorm during one of the battles and more people died, more enemy soldiers died from the hailstones than they did by Israeli swords. How about the time in in, in chapter 10 when Joshua was concerned they wouldn't be able to finish the battle, they wouldn't have enough daylight, and, and so he prayed that the sun would stand still, and it did. How does that happen? Right? God made the sun stop long enough for them to completely destroy all their enemies. And it says so that they would know that the Lord fought for Israel. See, when you got God on your side, you're good. You got this. He's got this. And while God may never do any of these types of miraculous things in our lives, which I don't think we should expect necessarily, but we must never forget that apart from him, we can do nothing. Without him, we're doomed to fail. And that's why we need to cling to his presence like that branch does to the vine. John 15, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And so as long as we stay connected to the Lord, we can have confidence that with his help, we will succeed no matter what what we come up against in life. No, No matter what we have in store for this new year. Jesus said when he gave the disciples the great commission, seriously, you want us to go reach the entire world with the gospel? Seriously? What did he say? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the last thing that God stressed with with Joshua was that success was impossible without his powerful presence in his life. It's interesting to note that despite all these promises that God made to Joshua that his military conquest of Canaan would be a total success, that's basically what he's saying. You will have success. There was one exception. Do you remember which one that was? What battle that was? In chapter 7, they, after defeating Jericho, they saw the little city of Ai. they probably thought, well, that's nothing compared to Jericho. (laughs) We got this. And so they got overconfident. They relied on their own ingenuity and their own plans and abilities. And more importantly, we know Achan disobeyed God's clear command to completely destroy everything in Jericho. Don't take anything, but he kind of stole some stuff and hid it under his tent, right? And as a result... This is the only defeat recorded in the entire book. Why? Because they failed to carefully follow God's steps for success. And as a result, they suffered a humiliating defeat. AI was an epic fail. And it was their own fault. But that doesn't happen, have to happen to any of us because God has given us everything we need to be successful in our Christian lives. As we claim His promises... We comply with his precepts. We cling to his his presence. We will achieve, by his grace, spiritual success. 
We don't have time for this, but I would encourage you as you meditate on today's message that you make, it, make your way to the book of Hebrews, particularly chapters 3 and 4, where you'll find a, an interesting connection made between Joshua conquering the promised land and Jesus conquering sin and death. And that Joshua ultimately is a type of Christ. And the same way that Joshua gave the Israelites rest, so there remains a rest for the people of God. What is that rest? That's your homework assignment. And if you use the application questions uh, that I provided, you'll hopefully be led to the right conclusions about what it means to find rest for your souls when you're fighting, you're battling the enemies of your soul, driving them out, if you will, of your life, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, right? This is part of the rest that God wants us to enjoy. We can... We can experience success in our battle against sin and temptation. And ultimately, we'll find that rest in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for just a little bit we've been able to think and talk about and, and in regards to Joshua and what a great example he is to all of us, but we know ultimately he's simply in your word to point us to Christ, the ultimate conqueror, and it's through Christ and Christ alone that we can be saved from our sin, we can put off the deeds of the flesh and live righteous, holy lives, and we thank you for Christ's invitation to come to him all of us who are weary and heavy laden, that we might find rest in him. And so I pray that if there's anyone here who's striving and working so hard to try to make themselves right with God, that they would realize that Jesus already made them right with you through his death and resurrection. And they need you to just to come under his lordship and they can find that rest. And Lord, for those of us that have committed our lives to follow Jesus, that we would find that abundant life that he promised. In John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, destroy, but I have come that you might have life abundantly, Lord, that we would experience that abundant, victorious Christian life this next year, that we would succeed spiritually for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.